We have two readings today. Uh, the first one's taken from Genesis on page 2. You might also want to find the next reading, which is on page 986 in Matthew. I'll start from Genesis uh, 26 all the way to the end of um, the second, second chapter in, in to 3. Then God said, let, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them as he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and, absub- and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on, ground, on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all, uh, that all he had made and it was very good. And then, and then uh, there was the evening and then there was the morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work and he, that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested, for all the work he was creating had been done. The next reading is on page 986. And it's Matthew 19, 1 to 6. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, he said. For there is a reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And so the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me say it's great to see you here in the middle of winter, in the cold. And before I start, let me just uh, encourage you about the John Dixon mission, our winter mission. Uh, I've been thinking and praying already about people I'd like to invite and bring along who don't normally come to church, who are curious about the Christian faith. And if I can just say, now's the time to start thinking and praying for them. Uh, And over the next couple of weeks, take the opportunity 
to connect with them and just invite them along. But my encouragement is find people who are curious about the Christian faith or open to think about the Christian faith. John is an outstanding speaker and the thing he loves doing most of all uh, is commending the Christian faith to those who are sceptical or on the outside and it's a great joy that he's going to be here for those three weeks. So please do seize the day uh, for that opportunity. So let's pray now as we come to think about what God's Word has to say to us. Father, we do thank you As we stop for winter and we look at some difficult topics uh, that confront us as Christians and often confuse us as to what we think, and I pray, Lord, you'd give us wisdom from your word as we think about these issues, particularly today as we think about gender fluidity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're stopping, as we did last year, to look at a number of hot topics. We did this last year and picked up some of the topics uh, that typically are not ones that would come out in the regular exposition uh, and teaching of Scripture, uh, but yet we need to stop and ask the question, what does the Bible have to say? What as Christians uh, do we think about these things? And what we've done is this year we've put together a series called What Does It Mean to Be Truly Human? And there's no doubt in my mind Uh, that one of the massive questions that people are grappling with in different ways is the question of what does it actually mean to be truly human? And we're going to look at three things. Uh, Today I'm going to pick up the whole issue of gender fluidity. I'll come back to that very shortly. Uh, Next week Scott's going to look at marriage and that very, uh, if I can say, vexed political question, what is marriage? Uh, And then thirdly, we're going to look at actually singleness. Uh, It's a very important topic, not often spoken about, and Ben Adamo, uh, who is single, is going to come and address us on that topic, and let me say, a very important topic for us as a church body. But today, what we're going to look at is the whole question of, is gender fluid? And it's worth saying, uh, 30, 40 years ago, you wouldn't have thought to ask this question. It, It was a very fixed idea that, if I can say, both church and society had... Uh, that when you came to the question of gender, there were males and females. And so it's worth asking the question as we start, why are we talking about this? Well, let me take you back 40 years ago to give us kind of a timeline of some of the key events that have happened to bring us to the point where we're now questioning whether gender is fluid. And I'll explain what that means shortly. Uh, That photo you can see there is the first gay Mardi Gras in Sydney, 1978. And if I can just read, uh, and this is from their page in terms of the history of the gay Mardi Gras, it began in Darlinghurst 40 years ago with a small minority crowd that started in exuberance but ended with arrests and police violence against the participants. And that was typical, if I can say, of culture's response to the LGBTI community. This year marks the 40th anniversary of the gay Mardi Gras, And you can see the change. 40 years ago, they're thrown in jail in Darlinghurst and beaten up. This year, the Prime Minister, and there you can see Gladys Berejiklian, the Premier, with Schur, who was kind of the figure person for the gay Mardi Gras, all celebrating together. It's amazing the changes that have taken place in 40 years. You go back to 1994 and you had the first, if I can say, anthem movie for the LGBTI movement uh, in Australia, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. It featured two drag queens and a transgender woman, and it was, if I can say, in the modern media and popular culture, probably one of the first, if I can say, positive portrayals of the LGBTI community and individuals on screen. And it's screened to a mainstream audience. There now is a stage show of the same name. Come forward to 2010, and the Safe School program is developed. 
And that was developed and has become compulsory in Victoria. Now, it was developed uh, because of the bullying against LGBTI students in schools. And let me say, we don't want that. Uh, absolutely, we want to stand and say there should not be bullying uh, of LGBTI uh, people who are struggling with their sexual identity. Uh, as we would want to say, for any children in schools, we do not want bullying. But that program wasn't just about bullying, it was built on a foundation, if I can say, that had changed the foundations for how we understand humanity and who we are. And one of the key things that has come out of uh, the reading of the material is that the teaching is built upon a foundation that said gender is not binary, but rather it's fluid. And what I mean by that, binary means it's either A or B, um, male or female, and the teaching of the Safe Schools material was, it's built on the understanding that actually no gender isn't binary, it's fluid. In other words, your biological sex does not determine your gender. Now that uh, material came to great prominence over the last couple of years. Um, and I want to read to you from their material, I went on their website to have a look and this is one of the, uh, if I can say, brochures you can download from the Safe Schools website regarding how they define gender diversity. This refers to people who do not identify as a woman or a man. In the same way that sexual orientation and gender expression are not binaries, gender identity is not a binary either. It's important to challenge our thinking beyond binary constructs of male and female. And so that's what they are wanting to teach to those from year seven onward, which is, a, if I can say, an interesting thought, to put it politely. And then last month, this appeared in the news. I was struck by it. Uh, it's a sign that was erected at Etihad Stadium. Interesting that it's Etihad Stadium, uh, if I can say sponsored by a company with Islamic background. And they've introduced for what was the gay pride round for the AFL, gender fluid toilets for all spectators during the annual pride game that took place at that stadium. And the MCG were considering whether they would do the same. And you think, it's amazing how we've gone from an LGBTI community being beaten up at Darlinghurst Police Station to 40 years and all of a sudden gender is fluid and you can pick the toilet of your choice. In other words, what was very much on the margins of society and culture has actually become mainstream to the extent that kids, uh, some are wanting kids as young as 10, uh, sorry, 11 and 12 to be educated in this way in our schools. And I guess the question comes, what are we to think of this? Uh, what's our response as Christians? Uh, what does it mean to be truly human? And is gender really fluid? I guess is the question we've got to ask. Or is it something that's fixed and binary? Well, let me move to my second point, which is to talk about, if I can just say some of the terms, what are we actually talking about here? Uh, and I'm going to be technical, and I do want to say a big thank you to someone who's not here, but Rob Smith, who's written a significant paper. I emailed the link to it uh, from the Gospel Coalition website, uh, which has got a lot more details if you want to do some follow-up reading. But I just want to go through some basic definitions, uh, because we may not all be on the same page, I suspect we're not, in terms of just understanding the issue from, if I can say, the technical side. And so here's a number of terms to come to grips with. Firstly, biological or birth sex is now spoken about, uh, if I can say different from gender. Uh, and biological or birth sex is the term that refers to the physical or physiological characteristics that help us differentiate between what is male and female. In other words, 
uh, females and males, we have chromosomes, hormones, genitals, and, and those things biologically determine what's called our biological sex. Uh, but we have separated, in terms of modern nomenclature, um, the concept of gender. Historically, the terms sex and gender have often been used interchangeably. They're male sex, they're male gender, uh, but not so much today. The push is today to draw a distinction between the two of them, sex, gender, one on the left, one on the right. That is, there's not a binary nature to gender that's determined by your biological sex. You may have, if I can say, male or female sex organs, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily male or female in terms of your gender identity. Gender, for some, now refers to aspects that are purely cultural and social expressions, not biological realities. Third definition, gender identity. And this is something that's arisen, if I can say, uh, over the last 10 years. And it refers to the way individuals perceive themselves and wish to name themselves. When a person's subjective gender identity aligns with their objective biological sex, which is the case for most of us, I've got, if I can say, I'm male parts and I think I'm a man, uh, well then I'm what's called cisgender, of the same. Uh, when there's a clash, they're commonly called transgender of the opposite. And so that's gender identity. If you uh, sign up for Facebook now, you can just pick whatever gender you want. You can kind of just describe your gender. Uh, and that's often uh, the way forms are going uh, these days. Then you've got gender dysphoria. Now, it's interesting to note, um, the American Psychiatric Association has a um, well-known manual which describes psychiatric psychological conditions. And it gives you kind of, if I can say, this is the way uh, it's defined. Now, in Manual 4, when you had the distress of gender incongruence, which is where you may have male biology, but you feel that you're a female in gender, that is called a gender incongruence. Now, in the American Psychiatric Association Manual Number 4, that was defined as a gender disorder. In number five, the most recent, it's called a gender dysphoria, not a disorder. In other words, it's no longer a disorder, but rather it's a distress, that's a dysphoria, that is caused by a gender incongruence. And the incongruence is not so much the problem, it's the fact that you feel distress in terms of feeling that in this society. And the desire is that this is being normalised in terms of actually gender is fluid. Next one, intersex. Now this is a term that covers a range of disorders of sexual development where there's a biological ambiguity in a person's genitalia or more rare uh, in their chromosomes. In other words, from a biological point of view, it's indeterminate and you could be intersex. Now it's interesting, medically they don't define that as a third sex, um, but it is a very rare thing, but it is a very significant thing for those who've been afflicted, if I can say, with that condition. Interestingly, um, numbers of people who are intersex do not wish to be associated with this movement of gender fluidity um, or the LGBTI community, uh, and often they will identify as one or the other, male or female. And then the last term is transgender, and that's an umbrella term used today for people who are born either male or female but whose gender identity differs from their birth sex to varying degrees and who want to express the gender with which they identify with through cross-dressing, 
Uh, it could also be through cross-sex hormone therapy or in more, um, if I can say, not as common cases, but sex reassignment surgery, uh, which obviously is a very significant thing. Now, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> this is what you all expected, wasn't it? <laughs> well, there you go. There's the kind of biology, psychology lesson for today. Um, before I get us to think about what the Bible has to say about this, um, my third point is, I want us to ask the question, how do we talk about this? If you talk to people who have a gender incongruence, whether you call it disorder or dysphoria, the thing to note is there's a lot of pain. Uh, there's shame. Uh, there's ophium bullying. It, it's a very difficult situation for people to be in. And they genuinely feel it. And they genuinely believe it. Uh, as part of my preparation, I watched a lesbian comedy called Nanette on Netflix. Now, I don't, I actually wouldn't recommend it. It's, some of the humour is what I'd call X-rated. Uh, but I wanted to just understand the world. And it's a painful presentation, if I can put it that way, that was just a month ago at the Opera House, packed out. She's very funny. But what you experience is the pain of a woman who has felt rejected and it gives you insights into what you're dealing with on this question. Uh, the question of gender fluidity, is it fluid, is not just an academic debate, it's a real issue that affects real people that many of us may have contact with. And the thing that struck me as I've mentioned to people that I'm speaking on this question, how many know someone or someone's someone who's dealing with this issue. And there are people who genuinely feel like they are a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. And so as we think about what the Bible teaches on sexuality and on identity, uh, what is most important is that there is a real sense of compassion and love for people. And I want to say, if people are struggling with a gender incongruence, they are welcome here. And we must love them and walk with them in their, if I can say, incongruence and the distress that they feel. And this must be a place that just models and typifies the grace that we experience from our God in Christ who welcomed us when we were far from him. It, it must be the defining feature of us as the people of God. But let me say, they also, and we also, need to understand truth. And those three things, compassion, love and truth, is actually how we've got to deal with everyone. Uh, we need to have an open hand, a loving arm to welcome people in, but also we need to, together, seek to understand the truth of the issues we grapple with from the scriptures. And so what does the Bible have to say? Well, we had two readings for us this morning. Uh, they're very important readings, they're very well-known readings. Uh, if you want to get your Bibles out, you can look with me. I've got all the verses I'm going to read out to us. And I want to start at Genesis. It's really the blueprint for us understanding humanity. Uh, those early chapters are profound in terms of setting a platform and a foundation 
for thinking about how we've been created by God and they are true today as they were true back then. And I'll read to you from Genesis 1.27 and then Genesis 2.23. Firstly, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so there's a unity in terms of uh, humanity. Male and female, we are, if I can say, united as something someone or if I can say a group made under God separate from the animal kingdom and from the creation and it says that we are male and female that's the way he's created us and then Genesis 2 23 says the man said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man and what you see here in the Genesis account is that there are two sexes that's the way we've been made male and female now it's worth noting that if I can say in the animal world the plant world uh, gender is also something that is real. You can have male, female animals, of course, including in the uh, plant world. But what you see in Gen- Genesis chapter 2 is that these two genders actually have identity. Uh, they are a man and a woman. And so you could say there's a sense of biological sex as well as gendering, and they are congruent. To be male is to be a man. To be female is to be a woman, is what is presented to us in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, a congruence of gender identity. And the implication of the text is that there is no third third sex. And it's worth saying this is not only the case before the fall of humanity, which you see in Genesis 1 to 2, but also after the fall of humanity. And so what I'm talking about with the fall is that Genesis 3... Adam and Eve rebel against God and there are significant consequences that flow from that and I'm going to explore that shortly. But in Genesis 5 where you start to see the world unravelling as it's thrown out of the garden, you read in verses 1 to 2 of Genesis chapter 5, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God, he created them male and female, and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. In other words, there is still this binary nature post the fall being described in Genesis chapter 5 that we are male and female. There are two genders. We're not, as has was recently decreed, decreed by the Mayor of New York City and the New York City Human Rights Commission, that there are 31 genders. I know, you just need to sit and think about that for a moment, but that is what's been recently decreed by the Mayor of New York City and by the New York City Human Rights Commission, there's 31 genders. And it's interesting how this plays out. My wife was talking to her brother and he was uh, reflecting on the way some of these issues are surfacing at work. And they had a function and he saw two of the younger ladies from work Uh, having to get a taxi and he offered and he said to them these words uh, girls would you like me to stay with you before the taxi comes just offering if I can say um, protection in case anything happened and he was criticized for calling them girls true happened just the other week Uh, because as a policy uh, they're rethinking how they address people in the office and de-gendering the language. 
So that's the first thing. In creation, we see God made us with binary sexes, male and female. Secondly, um, oh, sorry, I've jumped, I missed the verses. Um, Jesus reaffirmed the binary nature of gender. And I had Matthew 19 read there because when you think about this question, people often say, but we're in the New Testament. What, what has Jesus got to say about this? Well, he just reaffirms what you see in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 uh, and 5. And he actually quotes there from the beginning of Genesis. Haven't you read? Now, didn't you read Genesis? And it's a question about marriage and divorce. But his answer actually speaks directly into this issue that we're looking at. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Again, two sexes, two genders. And there is what you would call a personhood and gender congruence. Male, man, female, woman. And so what about those with gender incongruence or gender dysphoria? How are we to think and understand about that? Because the, if I can say the condition is very real. I first encountered it as a young man, like very young when I was about 10, when I discovered... Uh, that one of my mother's closest friend's husband was suffering this and it was the actual, meant the end of the marriage. Very early on as a minister, I discovered another man who came and saw what was then my senior minister to confess that he felt like he was a woman trapped in a man's body. He was a senior lecturer at Wollongong University. He ended up undergoing... Uh, gender reassignment surgery. Well, let's think about the impact of the fall. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve reject God and basically say, we want to do it our way, if I can put it in very simple terms. That event has changed humanity and changed the creation ever since. It's had enormous ramifications that flow on and have affected us. It's affected the creation, it affects us physiologically, psychologically. The entrance of sin is what's being described here in Genesis 3 and the entrance of sin affects every part of humanity. Now, not only our hearts and minds, and for those who are familiar with the Bible... It talks about our human heart condition as one that's sinful. In other words, our natural inclination is away from God and in on self. We naturally choose ourselves when push comes to shove. I could talk more about that. But there's other implications. It affects how we think. But interestingly, in Romans 8, Paul says... actually, our bodies are subject to decay. It affects us physiologically. Now, you don't have to think too long about this to see the accuracy of it. There's sickness in this world. There's disease in this world. Uh, incredibly debilitating diseases that strike people. Not everyone, there seems to be a randomness about it that just seems totally unfair. And we experience it here with people in the congregation. It's also why bodies suffer from disability. It's a reality we've got to come to grips with. And when it comes to the issues that we're talking about, you also realise that there's mental health issues and struggles that people have. And all of these flow on from the fall. 
that there's a profound fracturing that took place in the creation that affects us in every possible way at all possible levels, physiologically, psychologically. Now, physiologically, one of the impacts of the fall, I think, when we think about this is that there are people who have what we call intersex and indeterminate sex. Uh, because of, if I can say, biological and chromosomal issues that have happened at birth. And they struggle to identify. Interestingly, um, they don't see themselves as a third sex, and medically it's not defined as a third sex. But physiologically, it's one of the outworkings of the fall that you have people who suffer from this condition. Very small group, but it is significant to note that. But what about those whose biological sex is, for want of a better word, unproblematic? They know they're in a male body or they know they're in a female's body, but who claim to have been born in a wrong body. I.e., how do you make sense of the biological male who sincerely believes that they are a woman trapped inside this body? Uh, is it possible that you could have a female soul end up in a male body? Is how some have postulated it. Now, to think about this, it's worth thinking about the Bible's teaching on the relationship between the physical and the non-physical aspects of humanity. And it's worth saying we're not like the ancient Greeks uh, who separated our body and soul. And depending on what school you're from, they would have an emphasis on one or the other in terms of how they live life. Judeo-Christian thinking has always had, if I can say, an integrated belief about body and soul that we are persons, body and soul, and that's what makes us up. And there's a congruence about us. And you see that, uh, if I can say, reflected that we are body and soul, we're not just physical beings, but actually there's a spiritual dimension to us in Jesus' description of the body and soul this I'm just reading this is one version uh, one part you could look at Matthew 10 verse 28 do not be afraid of those who can kill the body speaking of physical harm persecution but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell and we know that as uh, if I can say as Christians as our spirit is renewed in Christ and our body with us um, our great hope is that there will be a day of resurrection for us when body and soul experience the new creation congruent together. And so we want to absolutely hold on to the belief that there's a congruence about the way we're created and the way we will be recreated in the new creation. And it's worth saying, it's one of the great hopes for people who suffer with this, that you will experience congruence, I take it, in the new creation with body and identity and soul. And so if I can apply this to this issue, while some might suffer gender incongruence or gender dysphoria and feel like they are woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa, biblically speaking, and if I can say this with the most gentleness, it's not possible. In other words, the condition is a psychological disorder, not a physiological one. And I know that is a description of people who suffer from gender incongruence that they might find offensive, challenging. It is the way, historically, how it has been defined. 
up until DSM Manual 4 of the American Psyche Psychiatrist Association. And I say this without wanting to minimise in any way the reality of the psychological distress experienced by sufferers of gender incongruence, but rather to understand what is actually taking place. You can't get help if you don't know what the actual issue is. The soul is the soul of the body as the body is the body of the soul. The sex of the body then reveals the gender of the person. And this understanding has profound and far-reaching implications. Let me move to point five. How do we respond? I would want to say, firstly, and repeat, with love and compassion, not condemnation. You don't have to think too hard about the reality of someone experiencing gender dysphoria or incongruence to realise what a tortured psychological state they exist in. I have no idea how bad it must be to feel like you are a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa. It must be a terrible state to be in. But yet people experience this. And like all people, as I said, they need to be welcomed here and loved with grace and compassion. And so how do we understand them? If you're here today, how do you understand yourself? Let me read from Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And then he also says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there's no doubt there are some people who are Christian thinkers who would want to say, the fact that you think this is sinful. And this passage raises that question. It actually raises two sorts of conditions for Christians. One, you're living in sin. Other, you are carrying a burden. And I want to say very clearly, I do not think the fact that you are experiencing this is a sin. It's an affliction. It's a burden. For reasons I can't say why you have this burden in your life, I doubt you'll ever be able to know that. But a burden it absolutely is, not a sin. And what Paul says here is, carry each other's burdens. In other words, if this is the reality that people who suffer gender incongruence are lumped with a very difficult burden, our response must be to carry that burden with them, to walk with them in the midst of that affliction, not to shun them, not to condemn them, but to walk with them. There is a need for the church to be able to cope with disclosure of gender dysphoria among those who experience it and have the courage to share what they're going through. And not just to cope, but to embrace, to love, to protect. These precious brothers and sisters require our special care and must be surrounded by much love and much prayer and much emotional, spiritual and practical support. And so they need love and compassion, not condemnation, but with the hope and the rest of the gospel. It strikes me that as we look at this issue of gender and particularly what it means to be truly human, you have massive questions about how do you find your identity? And historically, we found our identity in knowing God. 
or for the God-fearer just there was a sense of which they were created by God but that concept quickly is evaporating as the scriptures are being discarded and we so much today define our identity through our choices and in particular through our sexuality, our sexual orientation is how we define ourselves. Well, I'm straight, I'm queer, or whatever. What I'd want to say to people is, actually, that's the wrong place to find your identity. As significant as it may be for how you understand yourself and the struggles you go through, where we need to find our identity is actually from God. And we need to find our hope from Him. And the wonderful news of the gospel is it helps us to redefine ourselves as someone in Christ. And I want to read to you from Matthew 11, verse 28. I think for anyone who is burdened, these are such wonderful words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And for everyone, but particularly those who are burdened with the affliction of gender dysphoria, agenda incongruence Jesus says come to me and I'll give you rest and when you come to Christ you actually discover a new identity which is someone who is loved and accepted and forgiven in him and that's where we need to start and if I can say to all of us if you engage with people who are suffering a gender incongruence, what they need to hear is not words of condemnation, they need to hear there is a God who loves them and they need to come to Christ, like all of us, and have their sins forgiven. Not the sin of gender incongruence, just our sin of rejecting God. And they need to find Him and find strength and hope in Him. And from that platform, there can be if I can say, strength to cope in the midst of the burden. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to never have a gender incongruence, but it will mean that in the midst of that, they will have rest and strength to get them through it. And the great hope of the gospel is that we will be recreated, new creations at the resurrection of the dead. And my belief is that there will be a gender congruence on that day for all who in Christ are raised from the dead. You see, I would not encourage someone to undergo hormone therapy or reassign their sex. Because our biological sex actually is our gender. What I'd want to do is walk with you in the midst of that pain and encourage you to find hope and healing and strength for the burden you walk with. You see, as you reflect on the wisdom of the Bible, it does not encourage in any way people to transition, I don't think. Uh, I've just got a couple of verses up there, Deuteronomy 22 explicitly and unequivocally condemns cross-dressing. In 1 Corinthians 11... Uh, It speaks, uh, it's a complicated passage, but it basically speaks uh, very clearly opposing gender ambiguity. Uh, It's an 
all about haircuts and styles. I won't get into the details here, but what is clear is he wants men to look like men, women like men, women, according to the cultural norms of the day, not a gender ambiguity. And if I could sum it up this way, the psychology of today, our culture says, your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. But the wisdom of Scripture is, your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it even as that may be in the midst of burden and travail and affliction. And I want to finish with just this reflection because I think as you get to this point, you go, that all sounds nice, but it just seems kind of old-fashioned, Bruce. Is this out of step with culture and reality? Aren't doctors saying, no, this is the way forward? Well, A biblical worldview on gender identity might be out of step with where our current culture is moving. Yes, that's quite clear. But I strongly believe it's not out of step with reality. And what the Bible teaches is what many in the medical profession agree with. Not all, there's many in the medical profession who will disagree with this, but there's many in the medical profession who agree with this. That this is a psychological disorder, not just a distress caused by a society that's operated under heteronormative cultural norms. And so last year in September, the American College of Pediatricians published on their website... Oh, I want you to see this. Um, (coughs) Published on their website, this warning. Gender ideology harms children. And they're particularly looking at the whole move for children to be given hormone blockers and start this process at a very early age. And I'd encourage you, Google it, and you'll find the, uh, there's not eight points. I'm just going to read the last two from the end. They urge healthcare professionals, educators and legislators to reject all policies that condition children to accept as a normal life of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex. Facts, not ideology, should determine reality. Here's a couple of the points they make. Rates of suicide are nearly 20 times greater among adults who use cross-sex hormones and undergo sex reassignment surgery, even in Sweden, which is among the most LGBTQ-affirming of world nations. 20 times greater is what one survey discovered. What compassionate and reasonable person would condemn young children to this fate, knowing that after puberty, as many as 88% of girls and 98% of boys will eventually accept reality and achieve a state of mental and physical health. In other words, kids can have confused sense of gender identity growing up, but they typically resolve it as they go through puberty. Condemning children into believing a lifetime of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex is normal and healthful is child abuse, is the last point. Endorsing gender discordance as normal via public education and legal policies will confuse children and parents, leading more children to present to gender clinics where they'll be given puberty-blocking drugs. This, in turn, virtually ensures they'll choose a lifetime of carcinogenic and otherwise toxic cross-sex hormones and likely consider unnecessary surgical mutilation of their healthy body parts as young adults. The wisdom of the Scriptures, I believe may be out of touch with our current culture, but I don't think it's out of touch with reality. And what we need to do is continue to believe that we are made male and female. And for those who are burdened and distressed, 
and suffering and incongruence, we need to walk with them, suffer with them, and present to them the good news of the gospel that in Christ we can find rest from our burdens and we can find a new identity not tied up with our sexual orientations or gender disorders. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, such a big topic and a topic where real people are suffering in real ways. Give us great compassion, Lord, and great grace to welcome people, to walk with people, to suffer with them, and to bring them the hope and the rest that's found in the gospel of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for people who may be here suffering some sense of incongruence, that you'd help them to continue to find strength and rest in the midst of their burden, knowing that one day we'll be raised from the dead and experience gender congruence in the new creation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.